we're discussing the hidden love that every Jew has. Um, and we said because of that hidden love, therefore what is the most important thing to each and every one of us is being close to Hashem and not being separate. And when a person sins, whether that is a halachically forbidden act or it is a halachically required act that they fail to do so or it is a involvement in something ungodly which does not bring one closer to Hashem in any way, shape, or form, that act, that behavior, that thought, whatever it is, is sinful and separates them from Hashem. And so in as much as what's most important means to be connected to Hashem, even though, again, I might not be feeling it at the moment, if we can be honest with ourselves about that, then we can find it within ourselves to act, speak, think, and even let go of negative things and devote ourselves to turning away from evil and doing good in a day-to-day, moment-to-moment way, and thus we are living as a Vaini lives, and thus in some sense being a Vaini. Good? Okay. So now we're going to talk about this, this love that is hidden. Now, to be, to be fair, he's mentioning this love here in the context here. The, the real understanding of this natural hidden love that every Jew has is the subject of chapters 18 and 19 of Tanya. It's developed there at great length. So I am not going to squeeze in chapters 18 and 19 into here. I'm going to simply try and understand what we're saying about this love in chapter 14 um, and pointing out that if you want a richer and fuller understanding of this love, what will you need to do? Turn 18 and 19. Turn 18 and 19. Good? Okay, so we are at the, we're in the right-hand column. The line begins commandments, comma, and we're in the middle line by virtue of. You have the place? By virtue of the love of Hashem that is hidden in my heart, because remember, the person talking to himself, as in the heart of all Jews who are called those who love your name. Okay. So the first thing here to understand is that the person asks, is like, there's two elements here, is that this love is being related to in, I think, two ways which on the surface are very different from each other, but they come, they go hand in hand. So first this person says, it's hidden in my heart. So what are we doing? We're personalizing this love, right? This love is mine. It's something that I have. Um, it, is, it is interesting how the use of pronouns affects how we emotionally relate to things. So, um, if you say, for instance, um, if you were to say, you have a godly spark, or they have godly a godly spark, right? It's very different than saying, I have a godly spark. There's all of a sudden, like, you're just saying, I have a godly spark, especially when you're saying in the context of, like, a class. But even because there's almost this, like, wait a minute, how true is that? How, how, how much does that, there, there, there's almost a, 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 it's a bit vulgar, but put your money where your mouth is kind of a thing, that when a person makes I statements, this is probably one of the reasons why um, confession is done in, in that way as well, right? A person has to confess, I did this and I did that. Requires, requires you kind of engage with that. So there's a personalization here in saying there's a love hidden for Hashem in my heart. I have this love, right? But then it goes on to say, 
that, so that's very personal. But then he'll say that this love, why do I have this love? Because this love is something. In all Jews. Well, if it's in all Jews, is it personal? Is it mine? Is it uniquely something to do with me? Okay. So what I want to do is I want to... Which of these two ideas, that I have a hidden love for Hashem, or that every Jew has a hidden love for Hashem, which one of these is more important in the context here? I'm, I'm, eventually, like I said, we're going to bring these together and see how they, they relate to each other, but they have a different feel to them, right? Every Jew deep down loves Hashem is a very non-threatening statement. I deep down love Hashem that has a certain kind of challenge to it, right? Like, okay. So which one of those two statements, I deep down have a love for Hashem, or every Jew deep down has a love for Hashem, which one of those is the more relevant thing here? The I. The I. Okay, now if the, if the making it every Jew has it kind of pulls you in that opposite direction, kind of um, universalizes it, it depersonalizes it, it makes it too generic, so, and kind of runs against the, the, the being kind of hitting you in your kishkas that the I have is supposed to convey to you, then why include it? I have a hidden love for Hashem, like done dealing. Why, who cares whether someone else has a hidden love for Hashem? It's not a theology class, right? I'm trying to be in touch with the deeper parts of myself. And like, there's nothing, the fact that you also have a hidden love for Hashem, who cares? It almost seems to take away from, from the power of this personal reflection. So why would it be there? So before you answer, does everyone understand the question that I'm asking? Mm-hmm. You don't get it? Okay. When a person thinks about the, themselves or speaks about themselves, that has a certain resonance, a certain way it touches them, a certain way it makes them feel comfortable or uncomfortable with what they're saying or thinking about because it relates to them specifically, right? But when you make general statements, even if you're included in that general statement, it doesn't have that same effect, right? Say, everyone should be honest. Like, okay, why don't you be honest? I agree with that. I should be honest. It's like, okay, you start writing, like, how honest am I? Am I really like, you, 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 it carries a different weight. And if the point of this reflection is that this should be something that changes how we relate to the choices we're going to make in our behavior and, and how we're going to live our life, then the, the, the fact that this love is hidden in my heart as an individual to me, that's the relevant piece of information. And that's what carries the emotional weight. And then generalizing, it seems to like decrease its power almost. Like it almost becomes cliché. So then why include it here? Again, if it was, it was a philosophical discussion about the nature of hidden love as an objective matter, I can understand why we talk about how every Jew has it, but why is it relevant here to mention that every Jew has it? If it's about me and my choices, the issue is that it's my love, I have this love. The fact that you have it. Was that, now is, is the question clear now? Mm-hmm. Okay. On that level, there's no I. No, no, no. <laughs> On that level, there is an I. There's a lot of I. The most highest, concent- the most highest concentration of I in Tanya is in the sexual learning right now. There's ten times the Alter Rebbe says I in reference to the individual, the person. And if you count it in the Hebrew, where he says Ani or Eneni or Nafshi or Ruchi, where there is a first person pronoun. So in half a page of Tanya, there are ten, and, and a personal reflection 
Something you're supposed to be thinking about. You're not thinking about God. You're not thinking about the purpose of creation. You're thinking about your very much. I don't want this because I want this because I have this because I, 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 I. There's very much an embracing of the I. I know, runs the, the Bithel police get very upset with this. But <laughs> they're just going to have to, like, you know, tough it out. Sorry. So isn't it exactly the reason why But, but, but what actually gets you to not do the Avera? What gets you to not say the thing you're not supposed to say? What gets you to stop thinking the thing you're not supposed to think about? What gets you to let go of the emotional attachment you have to something that's klipa and devote yourself to serving Hashem? It's, a, it's not about me and I'm so devoted, that's what it is, or it's... This is real. This is what's really important to me. This is what really matters to me. Which one is Alter Basen? Alter is in no way thinking that I is a bad thing. I think I mentioned this in a few classes ago, like many, many classes ago, where I said like people like have this like allergy to egos if like ego is this horrible thing. I think this is before Pesach and like somehow like have to get past the ego. This is very egocentric. I need, I want, I don't want. I, 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 I. That's the power of it. You're not that devoted to the ideals of godliness to just like let go of all of the, the, the attachments that you have to the physical world. That's just not you. It's not me. It's not any of us. That's not what I was saying. That's not how a baby deals with things. I mean, does the opposite, right? I really care about this. I really can't accept that. Okay, you're on to something, but flesh this out, because you could be going in a correct direction or a very incorrect direction. If we're going to apply this in real life, okay. What do you mean? Why is it important to know that I have this love because I'm a Jew and every Jew has this love? But why is that relevant? How does that affect things? How does that change things? Why is that relevant? You're right. Somehow something is missing. There's something that, because my experience isn't aligned with it, but, but what needs to be addressed? What is being clarified to the person by, by putting it in this way? It's not a question, do I have this love or not? You do. Okay. And why do we need to bring that up? Why do I have to say it's not a question? Because you don't feel good. Very good. In other words, the reason this has to be brought up is because the person is asserting something about themselves they don't feel at the moment, right? Right now I feel like I want to live a life of unholiness. And now I'm going to tell myself I deep down love Hashem. If I use my experience as the basis of that assertion, then it feels like I'm lying to myself. Does that make sense? Make it very simple. If a person wants to do an Avera, they want to sin. If they tell themselves, I don't really want to sin. I don't really want to sin. This sin is disgusting. It's not enjoyable. I don't want to do it. Is that an effective way to stop themselves from doing the Avera? No. No, why not? Because there is something about it that you... Yeah, it's a lie. 
You do enjoy it because if you didn't enjoy it and you weren't attracted to you, you, you wouldn't be in the situation where you're trying to stop yourself from doing it, right? So the problem is if the person was feeling a love towards Hashem or a fear towards Hashem, would they, be need, would they need at that moment to be doing this kind of reflection to get themselves to shift in how they're living their life and the choices they're making at that moment? No. So the problem is the person is trying to I'll use this word right now, but I'm going to backtrack from it later because I don't think it's the right word, but we can use it right now. Convince themselves about something that they currently don't feel. Okay, now why is it... Now, now, once I say it's something that every Jew has, what does that mean? That means that if it's something every Jew has, it's not something that's based on experience. What do I mean it's not based on experience? So let's use the following analogy. If someone were to tell you, yeah, um, they have no friends. And that doesn't bother them they have no friends. It doesn't bother them that, 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 that they have no, no close personal relationships. Do you believe them? Not they have one close friend. A few close friends. Yeah, like nobody. They're, they're, no, they're not close with anybody and they're fine with that. It doesn't bother them at all. Would you believe them? No. Why not? Okay. What if someone said that they don't like chocolate? That's fine. What's the difference? It's not an intrinsic part of being a human to like chocolate. Right. It is a relationship. Right. Liking chocolate happens with a combination of two factors. First, you've experienced eating chocolate. And you found that experience pleasurable. If you didn't find it pleasurable or you never had the experience, I mean, it makes sense. You wouldn't have a desire for chocolate, right? Right? But the need for social bonds is an intrinsic part of being a human being, right? Now, we can discuss the degree and the type. That already makes it more complicated. If someone were to say, now let's move from those two things. Let's say love. If someone were to say, I don't love, I don't know. I don't love a particular person. I just pick a particular person. I don't love the rabbits in the Chabad house. Is that reasonable? No. Maybe they've never met the Rebbitzin. Maybe they had a bad encounter with the Rebbitzin. Maybe the Rebbitzin isn't her style. <laughs> like, it's fine. It's plausible, right? This person says they don't love their mother. By the way, I want to be clear. I'm not... I do want to... Not that... I don't want us to equate the presence of love with, with the absence of negative feelings, just in the analogy. In other words, you could love somebody and also have negative emotions towards them too, right? Human beings are complex. Mm-hmm. A person would just say, I have, I have zero emotions of love towards my mother. Strange. Why? Because it's unnatural. Right. In other words, human beings are born with a natural love towards their parents. Now... There's a, does that love always manifest as like an emotional experience of a feeling of yearning to be close to your parents? No. Okay. So what the Altair is getting at is that, yes, right now I don't feel any emotional drive towards closeness to Hashem. I don't feel any dread of separation from Hashem. In fact, what I feel is an enthusiasm for Klippas, for Sitrach, or for the animalistic, hedonistic qualities of living life or whatever, right? And that's what I'm experiencing right now. However, 
there is this other part to me, and that other part to me is for sure there because this part of me is something that is intrinsic. It's not built, it's not, it's not, it's not attained through experience. So the fact that I'm not experiencing right now is not an indication that I lack it. The fact that I don't feel it doesn't mean it's not there because that's not the kind of thing that needs to be arrived at or attained through experience. Yeah. That make sense? Now I want to backtrack a little bit when I said something about convincing. If you have to convince yourself that you love Hashem deep down inside, is this going to work? No. You really want to do an Aveira. You really want to sin. You really want to live life in a way that's maybe permitted but ungodly. And you're going to stop yourself and devote yourself to the opposite because you have this hidden love for your Hashem. And the way you do that is you convince yourself that it's true. Is that going to work? No. Why not? Yeah, you try to keep yourself talking to your mind. Okay. I want to I wanna develop this a little bit. Let's imagine that there's two people. And I want to get you to make a different decision. Okay? And let's talk about where it's something where you are not, you are not disinterested. So some things people are disinterested in, right? For instance, um, I am a, I'm a manager at a company and I have to decide which product to purchase, right? I'm disinterested. In fact, it doesn't really matter to me personally which product to buy. I mean, I, because I'm a good employee, because I, you know, I care about the success of the venture, I will try to do the best thing possible. At the end of the day, I don't have any particular attachment to one choice or the other choices to what product to order. Okay? That's a disinterested party. Like what we hope a judge is when they're judging a case, right? Okay, so when you're having a discussion and you're trying to change the mind of a disinterested party, you can approach it using reason and logic and discuss, right? Okay. But what if... Someone wants to change your, I don't hear me mind it, but they want to change your mind, they want to change your approach, they want to change the way you relate to something, about something that has to do with your actual life, something that you're not disinterested in. And they make reasoned arguments. What is the reaction you have to the reasoned arguments? So I'll give you a concrete example. They want you to agree to a certain shidduch. We'll use this as a very like, clear example. And they've presented you with very good arguments as to why you should agree to this. Should I marry this person? Like the point A, point B, point B, right? Everything's through there. Every, every, yeah. Like an airtight case as to why this is for sure the best thing you should do. What is your reaction to that entire endeavor? It could sound good. Like, what? I'm asking you. you so I'm saying, there's this person, and the person, and the shatz is trying to convince you to marry them, and they do so by making a six point argument as to why this is the most reasonable and logical and best thing. What? <laughs> what? Too good to be true. Too good to be true. I haven't met him yet. What if you have met him and you're not filled with the idea of marrying him? Why are you trying so hard to convince me? What? <laughs> why are you trying so hard to convince me? So you have doubts. Because there's distance. 
resistance. In other words, like this. Because you cannot move a person. This is very important. This is what every advertiser knows. You cannot move a person about life issues um, through trying to convince them, trying to make arguments, trying to show that this is the truth. That's just not how people operate. Why is that a how we grow up? That's an interesting discussion about why that's not how we grow up. But that's just the, you know, the, you know, the nature of spiders is they make webs, the nature of, of, uh, you know, of every creature. So the nature of people is that, that if we are not disinterested about something, then we, then, then we cannot be reasoned into a life choice. Or at least not just using reason alone. Right? And when that happens to us, we become very resistant. And we start telling ourselves narratives about well, what's wrong, what's wrong, why are you trying to, start to drop to convince me, right? Or, 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 you know. And then you can go like really bad. Like, so for instance, like the Shatran makes all these arguments, says, okay, so I have these six arguments, why should I marry the person? They went out with him, you're not particularly. And you say, so why not? And you're like, well, I don't really feel like it. Okay, but what's the issue? Life is not about, you know, it's not, it's not an adversarial intellectual debate. Now, that same dynamic exists within yourself, right? If you try to do that to yourself, you also become resistant to it. It doesn't work. So then how do we persuade people to move in like, you know, kind of real life choices if we're not going to try to convince them through reasoned argument? You have them experience it in some way. Okay, right, so we can use, you can have them experience it, right? Are there other ways? Like you go out with the guy, and the guy's very nice, and you want to marry him, fine, but like you went out, and it doesn't seem like you. Like, what other options do we have how to persuade people? We can manipulate them, right? That's mm-hmm. what advertising does, right? Or you could convince them on an emotional level somehow. How? You, like, tell them something that, like, you know you really want this, and you have to do this in order to get this other thing that you want. Well, I, I, I'll get... So, so, so I'm gonna, I, want, I want to make an important... I want, one second. I want, I want to make an important distinction. I want to make an important distinction. I think this is very important. This is a very important distinction. Sometimes the difference between two different acts is not the mechanism by how you do it, but what you are trying to achieve by doing it. If I make it clear to someone that in order for them to get what's important to them, they must do X, and the reason I am doing that is so that they can get what is important to them, I would say that that is not manipulative. On the other hand, if I'm doing that so that they do X, because I have an interest in them doing X, then I would say, that is manipulative. That is manipulative. I think, is it right? Yeah. Then, of course, if, if you're doing manipulative, then there's a question, are you being honest or are you being dishonest, right? Right, that makes sense? So an advertiser is manipulating you because they're interested in you purchasing the product. They're not interested in getting what, so even if the product really gets you what you really want, which often is not the case, but let's even say the advertisement is true, that it really is the case that by purchasing our product, this important need that you have will get met, right? They're still manipulating you because their interest is buying product, right? 
Whereas when you know the school counselor sits down with his, with, with the high school and says like if you if you don't do your homework you are not going to be able to you know get into college and get the career that you want right that's not manipulative make sense okay so the the mechanism is not really what defines the the act it's the it's the combination of what and why you're doing it showing someone what they really want right make sense okay so yeah you know if a person ha- in other words there's a way in which you're getting a person to be honest about something else reframes the issue okay so like like, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, this is an example. This is not. These are examples that are that are just. I think illustrate the idea very clearly. They're not necessarily like um, recommendations. This is the best way to solve any issue. But let's say you have a serious issue between a husband and wife, where they really need counseling. That can happen, right? And it's a very serious issue. Okay, how serious would you like? That's what I like to debate. How serious? But, but and one person really realizes they need counseling. The other Spouse is not ready to get counseling, not willing to get counseling. Well, you've got a problem here, right? What is a reasonable way to deal with that, to get the other person to go to counseling? Well, if that's the quality of their relationship, they probably don't need counseling. <laughs> Are you willing to do this thing that you really don't want to do for me so we have a better relationship? Well, I think if, if you're able, I mean, maybe you still need counseling, but probably the counseling's not that bad, right? One would think. Where there's a willingness to really go out of your comfort zone in order to maintain a, 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 a bond that, that you can continue to live in, in good life together. So then I think... That doesn't mean everything is picture perfect, but like you have a good, you've got a good part of the foundations already there. Right? It's not a serious. I mean, it could be the priest still should go to counseling. I'm not saying yes, I'm not saying no, but that, that, that clearly I don't think would be this kind of a situation. But it's not that. Something that you do very much care about. I don't know, like if there's kids, if there's kids, like you care about your kids, you want them to have a normal childhood, so we need to go to counseling. Right. So you say like, I mean, you can do things like, you care about the kids. If we don't go to counseling, we get a divorce. Um, you know, if you or you can say like, like we won't get divorced, but like the relationship will effectively be over. We're not going to divorce for any technical reasons, right? Here's like, like there is something else which you clearly do care about, but you're not being honest with. And putting that very clear to the person, and like, this means this. Right now, are you now? The thing is, the, the the other thing you're using, the kids, the getting divorced, the having a relationship, whatever it is that you're using, they have to already be convinced that that is true. So you're not trying to convince them that is true. What are you trying to do? You're trying to draw their attention to it, right? You see what I'm saying? In other words, it's not like, well, I don't know. Is it really so important to raise our kids healthy? Is it really so important to stay married? Is it really important to have a relationship? It's like, that's where they're holding, like, then we've got a very different problem. No, it is really important, but they're just not being honest with themselves about what that actually is. And so you have to, and so the idea is that you're trying to draw attention. Now, that itself has to be done in an effective manner, right? Like, it's not necessarily the most, being aggressive is not necessarily the best way of doing it. That's already, like, so now go back to the person inside themselves. I'm trying to, if I'm going to say, oh, deep down, I have this hidden love for Hashem, and I can prove it to myself because of X, Y, and Z, well, that's not going to work. 
One second. It has to be something that I'm not proving to myself. I'm drawing. I'm trying to draw my attention to in a way that is. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? In a way that is that is impactful, and then from that place it becomes very clear. Okay, well, if that's really true about me, then I have to choose to live life this way and not that way. So this is not an argument to prove to myself that this is the case. This is a way of turning something that I n know and I'm convinced of into something that is more visceral, something that is more emotionally impactful by, by pointing it out in a very tangible way to the person. As we'll see as that, that that's how we phrase it as it continues. It's very important because it, if you, the place you're going for, trying to go from is from skepticism to being convinced that this, this is not going to work. And you can ask, well, what if I'm skeptical that I have this hidden love for Hashem? It's a fair question, but that's not what chapter 14 of Tanya is dealing with. Chapter 14 of Tanya is dealing with is taking that from something that you, in principle, agree is true of yourself to something that is impactful in the choices you make and how you live your life. Yes, thank you for waiting. Yeah, so I get that, like, it's not about convincing yourself, and it's like, you know something is true and that matters to you, so that's why you're going to serve time. But at the end of the day, I feel like, like as much as you know that it's true that you have this hidden love for a time, since you're you're never going to be able to like feel that as much as the material stuff, I feel like it's just so easy to okay, fine, yeah, I know this is true, but I don't care. Okay, so, that's actually what we're going to address next. Okay. Like it's not enough to just say every. So so the starting point is everybody has it. Again, that's not a convincing argument. That's just like an acknowledging of something that you, as you said, like, I, I know it's true. Mm -hmm. But now he, see how he phrases it. Gives it. Even the most unworthy among the worthless is capable of sacrificing himself for the sanctity of God. How's that for a, you know, a description of your fellow Jew? The unworthy among the worthless. Can someone give me an example of the unworthy among the worthless? <laughs> what? You don't have to give me a real life example. You know, Rabbi Finkelstein. <laughs> I'm not asking an example. Like you can, you can leave out specific names and dates. You can even conjure up like a plausible example. It doesn't have to be like a real life example. Someone who sins a whole lot. That's pretty, that's pretty low, right? That, can we go a little bit lower than just sins a whole lot? Someone to get who mocks sin. What? Someone who mocks people about their sins. Oh, someone who mocks Remember, mocks people about not sinning, right? Yeah. And when their sins are pointed out, they don't, like, they don't flinch. That's pretty low, right? Yeah. They sin wantonly. They're not in any way apologetic about their sitting. They mock other people for the work they put in them themselves not sitting. That, that's a pretty low person, right? Okay. The, 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 the story goes that one time the rabbi goes to Yankel in the shtetl. He says, Yankel, how come you keep your store open on Shabbos? The who? Yankel. <laughs> the rabbi of the, the town rabbi. goes to Yankel. Yankel, that's some Jew in the shtetl. <laughs> got his store open. You know where shtetl is? Fiddler on the roof, shtetl. So the shtetl. You never saw fiddler on the roof? You know where shtetl is? Hmm? 
You know what a shtetl is? No. Shtetl is a village in Eastern Europe where the Jews used to live. They used to live in these small little villages. They're called a shtetl. Um, so the shtetl, if I say a word, you know what it means. You should stop and stop me and say, what does that mean? Otherwise, I have to guess what people know and don't know. Right? Sometimes I overestimate, sometimes I underestimate. I need, I need corrective feedback. Otherwise... So in the shtetl, a village. You know, you have a tailor and a butcher. And the t- so the rabbi goes to one of the townspeople and calls Yankla and says, Yankla, why is your store open on Shabbos? And Yankla says, Rabbi, I'm a sinner. What do you want from me? <laughs> it's pretty low, right? Nah, Rabbi, you have to understand. It's hard to make a living. No, <laughs> no, you know, there's holy people that I'm a sinner. You know? At least he's self-aware. <laughs> right? What do you think that's better? <laughs> that's the Rebbe Yitzchak Radichev. Rebbe Yitzchak Radichev once met a Jew eating on Tisha <coughs> And he said, you, you realize today's Tisha He says, yeah, yeah. You know Tisha is a fast day. He says, yeah. You know it's a serious fast. They're remorting destruction of the temple. And he says, yeah, yeah, no. So, so you're not well. He says, no, I'm perfectly healthy. And he says, God, Look how honest the man is! <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that's where everything gets a religion, right? You never see the, you know, everything is good. Impossible. It's also true. Um, pretty. Okay. So now, the shtetl. You know, so, so, so you got this yank, his doors are open on Shabbos, right? The rabbi comes to me and says, What do you mean, rabbi? I'm a sinner. I'm not so pious. He says, Rabbi, in fact, I think you need to like chill out a little bit. Like, you know. So it's, you know, don't have to be so like uptight about everything. Like, you know. Like, do we really need to spend money to, like, send the, you know, to, to like, you know, to keep the mikvah open? I mean, you know, isn't the local swimming pool good enough? You know, like, Rabbi, come on, chill out a bit, right? That kind of a person, right? Okay, so then, then the Cossacks come riding into town. And they grab Yankula, and they tell Yankula, this Yankula, say, Yankula, okay, you can either convert, become a Christian, or we're going to kill you. And lo and behold, what does Yankel do? Not every Yankel always, but many Yankels throughout history. That very same Yankel, right? So it was like, Rabbi, I'm not, I'm not so pious. Like, I'm a sinner. In fact, you're the one who's a little bit you know, tight about this stuff, right? That very same person in that situation is capable, and we know they're capable because they have done so, giving, sacrificing himself for the sanctity of God's name. So what's going on there? What's going on with this Yankel? Deep down, does he love Hashem? Clearly. Yeah. Now, this is very important. Okay. How do you know that someone is capable of doing something? If they've done it, you know they're capable, right? How do you know what's not needed for them to be capable if they could do it without it? So how do I know that someone is capable of th- throwing a baseball 90 miles an hour? Because I saw them. How do I know that they can do it um, without training? If they, if they never trained and then they did it, right? Make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So how do I know that this worthless, worthless person is capable of say, of... of of sacrificing himself 
for Hashem because he did it. Now, what about the other worthless guy? The other worthless guy, he didn't do it, did he? So the one who gave it, the, one, the ankle who allowed himself to be killed so not to convert to Christianity, he, I know, he, he clearly was capable. But this other Yankel, right? How do I know he was capable? Maybe he's not capable, right? Because he never did it. The guy who did give sacrifice, what did he have that made him able to do so? Was it because he was very devout? Was it his, was his religious devotion to Hashem that he practiced daily? Was it his ideology he subscribed to? What is it, his spiritual sensitivity? Okay, so you can do without all of those things. So what's the one thing he had? Well, we're gonna get that. What's, what's the one thing he had? Whatever he had was something deep inside, right? So, so that, that deep thing inside that he has, presumably he also has, right? Like, right? Whatever that deep down intrinsic thing that he has, it's something intrinsic. Well, if it's intrinsic to him, it's intrinsic to him, it's intrinsic to all of us. So now the thing is, you can make, you can use this as a rational argument. Or you can use this as something that is very demonstrative. And I'll explain to you what I mean. So let's say you have somebody who's struggling in school, right? And the counselor comes over and says, and they're struggling in school, and they have a story, a whole narrative of why they're not doing well in school. They're not smart, their parents don't help, blah, 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 right? And the counselor comes over and says, look. And they pick one person, one person in the school. And they say, that guy, you know, Joey, he, also not so smart, so parents don't really help. And he's applying himself doing well. And if he can do it, that means you can do it. Can that argument, can that idea, can that persuade the person to change their attitude? So it depends on how it's presented. If you're saying... I therefore have an ironclad rational argument. I have good evidence to prove to you that it must be the case that you can do it. Then that's not going to work. But what if the person on some level deep down knows that they're capable? But they don't want to admit it to themselves because what does admitting to yourself that you're really capable of succeeding in school do to you? It creates the, a sense that you really ought to do so, right? And that's hard and difficult. So they don't allow themselves to acknowledge that, right? And so that's in place. And then the person is presenting it and saying, okay, this is true about them. Do you really think you're any different than them? Do you really think that's not true about you? Look, see what's over there? Do you really think it's not true about you? Making it so vivid, making it so tangible, does what to that person then? They kind of see themselves reflected in the other person. Do you see the difference? The same information can be presented in a way that what you're trying to do is to convince them of the truth of your point of view. And that, you know, the person probably not going to be very receptive to. Or is to kind of use the other person to reflect themselves back at themselves. That, of course, presumes that they have, they have some acknowledgement of that to begin with and they're not being honest with themselves about. Like I said before, if you already on some level know this to be true, but you're not being open with yourself, not being honest, you're not being honest, you're not being, you're not really willing to face that. Having it then reflected back at you in someone else is extremely powerful. Um, okay, I'm going to move to something which is like 
not really related to time, but it's an important lesson in life. Everything that happens in the world ultimately has a good source. Because everything ultimately comes from Hashem. The basic idea of Chassid is that everything, if you go to, to the root of it, is actually something positive. It doesn't mean the way it plays out in the world is positive. That makes sense? Okay. So, I am sure you're familiar with in the modern world, there's a lot of cultural criticism about the way arts and literature and movies um, highlight certain kinds of people, not other kinds of people. The main, the main character in a story, you know, is like always, you know, the, 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 the white male or whatever, right? And like, what, what about uh, this kind of person, that kind of person, right? And then that, and now, that can go in all sorts of places. Some of those places are not very kosher according to Torah. But the source of everything is in a holy place, right? What's the underlying criticism? What's, like, if you go past the purpose of entertainment, what is the real purpose in society of the arts, of telling stories? Movies, literature, what, what's the purpose of that? Like, what social function does it serve other than the fact that people enjoy consuming it? Other than just a pure hedonistic thing? From the people producing it? No, if we just imagine, like, not the producers, not the, the society. Why would a society think it's a good idea to have stories and movies and, and, and these types, you know, whatever the medium is being used, but to convey these, like, why? Sense of departure. What? Sense of departure. Sense of? It sets us apart from animals. Okay, but fine, but, like, what does it serve? I mean, like, As an escape. Well, then it's just entertaining. It opens your mind to new things, to different things. Demonstrates possibilities of It's a way of helping people realize potential, both in terms of achievement, in terms of growth, in terms of morality, in terms of mode of living. But in order for that to work, there's a very important thing that must happen, which is that the consumer of that needs to be able to see themselves in some way being reflected in if I hear a story about somebody and I cannot see myself reflected in any way in the, in the protagonist of the story, then the protagonist's growth and achievements and, and struggles are not really, they don't beckon me and teach me and, and help them. Now, where you go from that in real life and therefore which I'm not going into there, but that is actually a true thing about a person. So now, if you have a person and they say, wait a minute, you, you, there, there's this person who, despite clearly not feeling any spiritual devotion to Hashem, no religiosity, right? Has something inside themselves when in a moment of clarity brings them to a sense of what's really, truly important, right? Based merely on their intrinsic identity as a Jew. If I can see myself reflected in that person, what does that then do to me? Not I have to be convinced that this is factually the case. I might believe it's the case. I might understand it's the case. I might even have a little bit of classes on the fact that it's the case. But there's a way of like, it's, it's, it's abstract. It's not, it's not real. But when I see it reflected in someone else, yeah, it inspires you. It evokes that. It brings it out in you. 
Right? And then what does Alter Bikinius say? I surely I'm not inferior to him. Right? When you, if, you know, I'm not recommending watching movies, but if a person were to watch a movie or read a novel or something else, right, and there's somebody there that does something positive, does something good, undergoes a growth, goes through a struggle, changes in some way, right? And you can see yourself in that, that makes you aware of that capacity within yourself. Which, of course, then you have to choose to act on or not, right? It's not a button you push and then automatically it happens. And that's what the author was saying is there's, there's, there's clearly these, these, you know, Jews being willing to give up their life for Hashem is not dependent upon how religious and how spiritual they are. It's something else. And, and if you can see yourself being reflected in those other Jews, then that's the way to get in touch. Say, you know what? Yeah, if I was in that situation, like, I see that. I hope I would do that. Like, that, that resonates with me. And that reorients the person out of the emotions they're experiencing in the moment, which are arranged in such a manner to bring them, attach them to the klipa and refocus them on, well, okay, what's really important to me? So it's not a matter of trying to argue yourself into it. Now, of course, there is a, there is a downside to this, or no, no, there's, there's, there's a weakness to this, which is if the idea, just the very idea, the very reality of a Jew who's not spiritually devout, giving up their life, just seems weird and alien to you, does it work? So that's the, that, is a, that is an interesting thing. In other words, like, I'll, 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 so I, I, I teach people, right? Um, so one time, um, so I was teaching a class, and, and this topic came up. I don't remember the exact, it wasn't, it wasn't tiny inside, I don't remember, but this, this came up somehow in the class. And, and I, I used the example of converting to Christianity because I think most Jews have kind of like a, you know, regardless of their background, kind of like a, a, kind of a, a visceral sense of like how, and how wrong that is. And can it, can, so it is like, like you know, if it's like really like someone's gonna kill you if you didn't convert to Christianity, you know, like you could see that people did that, and like you can resonate with that kind of, that kind of, on any level. Usually, you know, there's some kind of resonance with that. So there's one buffer in the men's program, it was a few years ago. He's like, well, why should I give up my life not to become a Christian? It's just religion. Like, isn't the most important thing that I survive? Like, this person had so imbibed in himself, not just an experience, but a, a, a mode of viewing himself that he couldn't see himself, even though he was interested in Judaism, but he couldn't see himself as his, as his survival as secondary to something more important. And so someone who acts that way, he just couldn't, couldn't see them, himself being reflected in that. So then there's a question, like, how do you, like, this is not going to seemingly work so well, right? You understand what I'm saying? There, there needs, the, the way this works is because the person, when they think about the worthless, the unworthy amongst the worthless, who has, who has given up his life, whether they know that person personally, have heard stories about that, or that it's just part of their culture, but that resonates. They see themselves some way reflected in that. That person is, has gone from being a nobody to being a hero in their eyes, and a hero that they can, in some sense, relate to, and they say, I'm not less than that. That whatever whatever they had that brought them to places is, is, yeah, I, 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 I that that isn't me. And they feel uncomfortable. They feel dishonest, as we're going to see in a moment, of simply now ignoring that as I go on to make the decision about what I'm about to do next in my life, what I'm going to say, what I'm going to think, 
what I'm going to hold on to emotionally. So it's not about arguing and convincing yourself that this is a fact, that this is correct. It's about turning it into something that you feel you are uncomfortable denying. You are uncomfortable ignoring because you're seeing something true in yourself being reflected in someone else. Does that, does that make sense? I think it's very important to understand that if you're gonna actually do this, if you start having like a rational argument about the existence of the capacity for self-sacrifice, it will not help you be a bainity. Um, and that's actually why we, 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 you know, we tell stories about these types of things. I mean, one of the interesting things about a traditional Jewish education is a traditional education involves a lot of stories where the basic message of the story is Despite the persecution, the Jew does what? Maintains their loyalty to Hashem, whether it's in the practice of mitzvahs, in their trust in Hashem. Sometimes it has miraculous endings, sometimes there's self-sacrifice. And that, that's the, the, so that the person like, resonate, they see that in themselves. Um, you... you one of the things that's hopefully going to happen is all of you are going to end up having children. You're going to raise children, right? It's very important that a child grow up that that's the... They encounter people in real life or people in stories that exhibit this characteristic in a way that they can... Relate to is maybe the wrong word, but they can see that that reflects something, that reflects back to them. They... They see that, that, awake, that, that they see themselves in that in some way, because then that makes you know actually tapping into this capacity, this innate love of Hashem, something that's much more natural, right? Just like it's natural for a person to speak, but if you raise a person in a society where no one uses language, they're raised feral, right? It's going to be very hard for them as an adult to learn to talk, if possible at all. Similarly, if a, if a person has that kind of reference points around himself that makes this kind of reflection something that is very down to earth. Almost the point of not even being mystical. And I think on a very straightforward level, that's really what the altar was trying to get at, right? In the time, in other words, that no mystical knowledge required. What is required is to having that kind of model that you can say, yeah, I'm not less, what they have, I'm not less than that, I'm not inferior to that, that, that is in me too. That reflecting on, on, on that evokes an awareness of that in me that's much more tangible. And then I can, from that place, make a decision about how I want to act and how I want to speak and how I want to think and whether I want to hold on to these emotions that I'm feeling right now or I want to let them go and what I want to do moving forward. Does that make sense? So it's really about like, how you say it to yourself. Exactly. Which is why I think, I mean, I don't know if you ever tried this, but if you just like tell yourself these words in your head, it doesn't always have the effect that thou ever promises. And, which leads me to another thing. Sometimes we don't want it to work. You know this thing? Sometimes we, sometimes we want to be able to say we tried and it didn't work, so now we don't have to feel guilty. So one of the tricks that the animal soul uses, it gets us to do this in a way where we're not really, I'm really, we're not really ev- invoking that other person 
as a way as a way to reflect something true about ourselves back to ourselves. We adopt a skepticism that we don't really have in order to like put a wrench in the whole thing. And then when the reflection doesn't work, when the when when when, the, when this 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 attempt to be true to oneself doesn't really work, say ah, see, it doesn't work. So now I don't have to feel bad at the fact that I, you know, live a in a godless way. But that's because of the way we approached it. That's because of the way we did it. Not because it doesn't work. It does work. But that requires the person to approach it this way with that kind of an honesty. Good? Any questions before we go forward on? Okay. So now. Wait, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Is this talking about specifically like Ordinary Jews giving up their lives? Ordinary Jews, no, no, less than ordinary Jews. Real low lives. Giving up their lives. (laughs) Yeah, you can adjust it. To be frank, you can adjust it for what works for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if, you know... (laughs) Right, in other words, because, because the idea is the dynamic between some, this innate love that every Jew has that makes connecting Hashem important to them and they don't want to be separate from Him, right? The self-sacrifice not to, not to convert to Christianity or not, you know, and, and live, giving up your life physically is like the ultimate and most intense manifestation of that and maybe is the most pure example of that. But the point here is not, is not the concept. The point here is the resonance that it has with you that, oh, yeah, this is true about me. So if you have a story about, you know, somebody, like, being willing to, like, not get a promotion because they'd have to work on Shabbos, even though they're not really the most spiritual-minded person, that could be an example that, that works for you. Right? Each person in their way, right? could be the person who breaks up with a non-Jewish boyfriend or girlfriend because they realize, like, that disconnects them from their... Right, right, you... you, you and again, the more you're immersed in, 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 in a more traditional, authentic Judaism, I think the more, the, more, the more powerful you can make this be. But at the end of the day, it's that, again, just like you know the prison, the, the protagonist has to be somebody that you can see yourself being reflected back in. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You have to be, say, you have to be able to say to yourself in an honest way, I'm not inferior to that. I'm not lacking what that person has. So you have to see that. You have to see that. Ref- you have to see that part of yourself reflected back in them. That's what makes this work. Okay. It is only the spirit of Father that has overcome him, and he imagines that committing a sin will not affect his Jewishness and his soul will not be severed thereby from God of Israel, forgetting also about his love of Hashem, which is hidden in his heart. So why does that person, if, they're, if they have this deep love, why in the fact are they so worthless? Are they so lowly? Are they so compromised in the relationship with Hashem? Spirit of folly. There's a spirit of folly, okay? Now, I'm going to skip talking about like, the spirit of folly in great length. We'll come back to that next week maybe. What is the solution to the spirit of folly? Sorry, what's the folly? The reason why this person, if they deep down have such this, important, it's so important for them to be connected to Hashem, then how come they're not <coughs> devoted to Hashem on a day-to-day basis? Where is that compromise coming from? Where is that inconsistency coming from? Something called spirit of folly. I don't care what it is. I don't care how it works. 
I just wonder what's the solution to it. Look in the text and tell me what you think the solution is. Which truth? The truth that I want to be close to God. Why is this person acting the way they're acting? Making decisions the way they're making decisions because they're willing to deny a truth. Which truth are they willing to deny? The truth of themselves. Now, do I want to deny truth about myself? It's a very, it's like, it's a very simple, very profound point, right? There's a person, they clearly, something is really important to them, and yet they don't act that way all the time. They don't live up to that all the time, right? They, they compromise, they, 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 they rationalize, they, whatever it is, yeah? Why? Something wrong with them? They're incapable? Or they're just willing to deny, I'll use another one of these more modern things, their truth, the truth about them. And I, this is the end result of the collection, I, there's a little ego in this too, right? I am not one to deny the truth about myself. That's it. That's the bottom line. That's the whole thing. Once I'm going to, this is the truth about me, so now is it, I'm going to deny this truth? I'm going to lie to myself going forward? I see myself reflected in this other person. They're able to dismiss that part of themselves and not act. That's why it only comes out once in a while. But once I see that, that innate love that was manifest in that person, I see myself reflecting that in some way that I know for myself, that's real about me. Okay, do I want to now just shut that out, ignore that and lie to myself going forward or not? That's it. It's not like no mysticism required. And that's the end. That's the end of being a Baini. I mean, it's not, a Baini can do more stuff, but like the difference between someone who's living as a Russian, living as a Bainani, comes down to this, this in, in the Hebrew, it's half a page. Now I'm not willing to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest about myself. I see that deeper truth of myself regardless of what I feel reflected from, that, from those other people. I see that, and I don't want to, I'm not, gonna, I'm not willing to deny, I'm not willing to lie to myself about myself. And yes, that could be hard, and yes, that means I have to exercise maturity and self-control, and da 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 but, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not willing to lie to myself about myself. I'm not willing to pretend just because something is not what I'm feeling right now, somehow it's, no longer, it's not really true, it's not really part of me, it's not really critical to who I am. Now, I would just like to point out, how do people succeed in any really important life endeavor, such as, um, becoming an expert in some demanding thing, building something of significance, having a long-lasting marriage, raising children, anything like that. Are they always in the mood? They always want to do it? They always feel like it? But they have to remind themselves that what's really important to me, what really is of deeper significance to me, right? And... That my choice is basically to, well, if that's really true, am I going to lie to myself about how I spend the next hour, the next day, the next month, or not? So all the author is really doing is taking kind of like the functioning of a, 
you know, a, a kind of healthy human adult and saying, well, what happens if we take that dynamic and we introduce that there's a godly soul, there's, a God, there's, a, there's an innate love to Hashem, and, and use that dynamic around that point, then you get a Bainani. Which makes being a Bainani quite an attainable way to live life, doesn't make it an easy way to live life. Does that resonate? That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there is one point about the, 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 the spirit of folly, which um, I would like to go over maybe next week, exactly what it does. But in terms of the overall flow of our discussion, the idea is reflecting on this innate characteristic being part of every Jew, and I see that, ref- and I see that reflected in other, in other Jews that I'm certainly no less than, I certainly have what they have, and therefore that, that, that kind of calls the person to task themselves, make, that, that they have to be honest with themselves about that, and then the choice is going forward. Now that I was honest with myself about that, do I want to now lie? Do I now, now pretend that it's not true? And if I'm not going to pretend it's not true, well then, my next decision will be the decision of a banity. And that's that. So it's a process of being internal that is very much focused on the external choices we make about how we live our life. What the chapter is going to move on to afterwards is actually changing our experience of being connected to Hashem and close to Hashem and feeling love of Hashem versus feeling a desire for people. And we're going to talk about the Benini versus the Tzaddik in that regard. So we're going to, so in the sense we're kind of done with the trait of a Benini at this point. And we're going to move on to contrasting the Benini to the Tzaddik. Yes? Um, at what point does a person stop being like a Russia who has motivated themselves to make the choice of the Benini? At what point does it change from that to actually do that? I don't know that there is, I don't know that you can draw a cutoff point. It's like, you can clearly see that at some point that that change has occurred, and at some point, like, it's not. But I don't know, like, there's a, there's a, there's a, it's like, at what point do you go from being a child to an adult, psychologically, not halachalachically, you know, when you're 12 in one day, fine. But, but psychologically, when do you, when are you no longer a child and you're now an adult? I mean, clearly some people are adults, clearly some people are children, and clearly some people are, like, transitioning. But, like, there isn't, like, a point you can say, ah, now it's happened, right? And it's actually kind of, like, silly to worry about it. It's like if you keep as you move out of childhood towards adulthood, you keep trying to live as an adult in a within the capacities that you have. But you know, at thirteen is what looks one way, and at fifteen looks differently, and at eighteen looks differently. Then yes, you'll be an adult eventually, right? And so the same thing. If you keep living as a bainani would live, at some point in theory, you could truly be a bainani. And like, but that's almost beside the point. I've said before. It's like, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it's still to keep doing the same thing. Make sense? Okay. Hold it here. Any anything that I said that needs clarification about? No. Okay. Can we do this with a lot more things than just our relationship with Hashem? Yeah, the Alter is interested in our relationship with Hashem. The, the Alter doesn't think this dynamic is a novelty. He thinks this is like if you have a, a, a clear understanding of human psychology and maturity and, 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 and personal accountability, just apply that to someone having a godless open intrinsic love of Hashem and Voila, it's like not. Except you wrote this before studying psychology. Okay. okay.